there's no way out I've got to show them what I've become And there's no doubt Got my back to the wall and I'm still hanging on There's no way out I've made my choices where I belong Troubles in my life have been all the same With a strain in my mind getting hurt again There's a pain in my heart but it's just a game Gotta get over it, won't go insane Won't achieve anything while I'm down Don't wanna give out my heavyweighted frown I'm stopping this now, I'ma turn it around Heaven's on the ground, now I'm looking at the clouds Gonna make a change like a change, bigger getting changed Gonna stay the same with my mind frame rearranged Gonna wish the blue out my mind and my eyes Was I blind in my mind cause that was old times Cause I'm starting fresh with a clear vision You can even spell my name in optimism Just track the M's and I and the P And then what you're left with is me Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to tonight's episode of the Zod Rider Show. I am Zod Rider, and with me tonight, I have a very special guest right out of right out of the gate. I have Mr. Craig Miller. I've wanted to do this show for quite some time, and we finally have made it possible uh, for Craig and I to to get on here and talk a little bit about about his career over at Lucasfilm and some of the other things he's done and all this amazing stuff. So, Craig, welcome to the Zod Rider Show. Ah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I I had I had been looking over some of the stuff that you know you'd worked on and and I was looking forward to talking to you and getting you on the show because you were working on working at Lucasfilm during a Star Wars era that I actually really really enjoy. And the reason I say that is because I'm not very fond of the current Star Wars era that exists at Disney at the time. So could you tell myself and the listeners a little bit about your uh, past experience working for Lucasfilm? I, I was at Lucasfilm um, during the Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back period. I was a consultant prior to the opening of Star Wars, and then I was hired on staff um, uh, full-time, and I stayed through the release of The Empire Strikes Back. So that was the time frame I was in. My title there was Director of Fan Relations, um, and I was a, a publicist working on the films in a general publicist kind of way, but I also had special focus additionally on all the stuff having to do with fans and fandom, both um, in general part of the marketing of the films to science fiction conventions, uh, comic book conventions, media conventions of the period. I set up a system once I was there full time dealing with all of the fan mail that came in, and I created and oversaw the first years of the uh, official Star Wars fan club. 
Oh, okay. And and, and how how did that go? Like, what were some of your some of your fan in, interactions? Did you actually deal with fans directly at the time, or? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, um, prior to the opening of the film, uh, Charlie Lippincott, who was vice president of Star Wars Corporation, in charge of publicity and advertising and licensing. Um, did the presentations at uh, science fiction and comic book conventions like uh, San Diego Comic-Con, the World Science Fiction Convention, places like that. Um, and after I came on board, I started doing all the presentations at conventions, um, dealt with uh, the inquiries we got from fans about licensing and products um did went to a lot of conventions on behalf of star wars and met with and talked to pretty much everyone who wanted to talk about star wars stuff dealt with fanzines and all that so yeah i was the main official point of contact between fans and star wars for the three years i was there so, and so during that, and then during that three year time, so you had to, did they, like, did you have to basically just totally immerse yourself in all things Star Wars so that you would be able to answer virtually any question that some, that anybody had for you or anything that you had to deal with, like, like during conventions and stuff? Like, what, how did, how did that work? What was, what was that like? Well, sort of. It wasn't that I was Mr. Encyclopedia and if someone said, you know, what was the relationship between this character and that character? I, I didn't have to instantly know everything about it, but, you know, I was a fan. I was a, I grew up a comic book and science fiction fan. I, this wasn't alien territory to me, and I loved Star Wars. So, um, knowing all that stuff was pretty, you know, easy for me. And in fact, okay. a lot of times other people working at Lucasfilm, especially as we started to grow in the licensing and publishing and stuff, and we were bringing in people who were experts in those areas, but weren't necessarily Star Wars experts. A lot of times they would ask me questions of the sort you're talking about, um, but no, my my job wasn't to be Mr. Know-it-all about Star Wars, but if people had a question and I could answer it, I would. Okay. So so and there was there's another uh little known factoid about you that exists uh that talks about you had set up a, a hotline for fans to call when they had questions in regards to the Empire Strikes Back? No, no, well, Yes, there was a line to call, but it wasn't where you could ask questions. What what we did, what I did, was you could call a number and you would get a recording of one of the six one of six characters from the movie telling you stuff about the Empire Strikes Back. Oh, okay. I, I wrote all of these announcements and then we recorded all of the actors, um, reading the scripts. It was Luke, Leia, uh, Han, C3PO, and Darth Vader. And 
No, maybe it was just five. I, I can't remember now for sure, but certainly those five. And you would call up the special number we had, which is was one eight hundred five two one one nine eight zero five twenty one nineteen eighty May twenty first nineteen eighty the day oh, Empire creative. Strikes Back would call up or would be opening. So beginning the, uh, the beginning of January of nineteen eighty, you could call that number. And every month you'd get a different message from one of the characters telling you a little bit about what was going to happen in The Empire Strikes Back. That's that sounds good. And I mean, was that that's something that at that time at that time was was common when they had the, you know, 800 numbers for a lot of for a lot of different properties like that. Right. So that was kind of so that kind of fell right right in with that, because that's what people did at the time, because we didn't because, you know, we didn't have Internet and all that back then. So well, that we was didn't a, have Internet. Eight, messages like that were were unique. 800 numbers existed, uh, you know, total call our business toll-free, and answering machines were common. People had, today we have voicemail. It was the version of voicemail back then. You had little special devices in your home that answered your phone. They were little micro-cassette recorders, basically, that were tied into your telephone. And you would call up, and there'd be a message saying, hi, I'm not home, leave a message, and you'd leave a message. Only with this... I mean, this was more complicated than that, but basically the same principle. You called up, you couldn't leave a message, but you could, you would receive a message when you called. Um, and it just, it had occurred to me that we could do something where people could call up. It wouldn't cost them anything and they could get these promotional messages, getting people excited about, um, the Empire Strikes Back coming out during the five months leading up to the opening. So it was the first time anything like that had ever been done. And it was pretty amazing. We got a tremendous response to it. We, um, back then, the phone system was mechanical. Today it's all computerized. But if you called a number, there was mechanical switching equipment that routed your call to the right location. So our number 521, the the prefix, was located in Illinois. So we had to have our phone bank uh, located in Illinois, and we set up with a company there to process our calls. And um, we announced it at a couple of science fiction conventions, and Starlog ran Starlog magazine for people who don't know that was the newsstand magazine about uh science fiction media TV and movies um and they ran like a two paragraph little article announcing the phone number that you could call up for the messages and that was the only amount only publicity we had done on it and the calls came in from all over the country were so overwhelming that the phone company could not process all the calls. They couldn't, there it were so many calls overwhelming their system, they couldn't give out busy signals to all of them. And it amount, what happened was it actually shut down 
the 800 system for the state of Illinois for oh, wow, like a day. And Illinois, con- the, the phone company, which back then everything was AT&T, um, contacted us and wanted us to shut the thing down, which we didn't want to do. And they said if we don't shut it down, we had to increase the number of phone lines responding, which was fine. We did that. We had to cease all advertising, and that was easy because we had done no advertising and had planned no advertising. We were just doing it by convention announcements and uh, press releases, that sort of thing. Um, and we should apologize publicly because AT&T wanted us to take the blame for shutting down the 800 system instead of all of their customers getting mad at them. And I was only too happy to send out a press release to every press outlet we could find in the entire world saying, we're so sorry there are that many Star Wars fans anxious and eager to find out what's going to happen in uh, The Empire Strikes Back that they shut down the phone system. So it was great. We got far more publicity out of our public apology than we ever got out of announcing, hey, you could call this phone number. That's amazing. <laughs> that so sounds like, yeah, that sounds incredible. So, so with the successful response and all of that, you, you, you had only been at, you know, Lucasfilm for a few years. So you weren't around for if they were, if they did something similar for the next one, right? You did, are you aware? Did, did they or? Uh, nothing of the kind was done for the next, for Return of the Jedi. Other companies have done it since. Um, Paramount for one of the Star Trek movies did it, but you, it was a, one of those numbers where you, like a 900 number where you had to pay for okay. it. Right. Uh, and ours was an 800 number. Um, and it's been done a few times. And now, of course, with the internet, all that is different. You, although some companies have still done things where you call like 800 numbers, but a lot of, most stuff now is just done by going to websites and things like that. But, but yeah, back then we did it. We were the first ones to do anything like that. And, you know, we had no intention of shutting down the phone system. We just wanted people to call up and enjoy the messages. Yeah, and it was, and like you said, it was, it was free, right? It didn't cost anybody, cost the caller anything. So that was probably another reason why you were so bombarded with phone calls. So it. Oh, sure. It was free. Yeah, I mean, so. It works out perfect. Yeah. You know, we, it never occurred to us that people would pay to call up the number. And that's all, and you know, and that's the opposite of publicity anyway. It becomes merchandise when you're charging people for it. We want right. we want to get people excited, so it was something we did for free. You know, we recorded all of the um, we recorded the voice actors when they were looping for the film. You know what looping is? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they were coming into a sound stage anyway, or a, a recording studio anyway. To, to loop their dialogue, so we were able to record their messages when they were already there, except for Harrison, 
Harrison had already finished looping by the time we got this all set up. So I ended up hiring a um, studio sound recordist, and we went up to Harrison's house and recorded him doing the message for us. Um, but the others were all done in the looping session, and... You know, and then we edited them and got them to the phone system. And so it was all great. And, you know, people loved them. And I really enjoyed doing it. It was a great, fun, different kind of thing. It would be nice if Lucasfilm would put something out like that out in the archives so that people could hear, could hear them now if they wanted to. You know, because everybody well, has a, has a love for Star uh, Wars. So it's kind of. <laughs> A few a few years ago, I actually everyone had forgotten about them. And cleaning up my office, which you know you end up with tons of stuff, I was going through my office and sorting things, and I found my copy of the original recordings, which was on an ancient cassette tape. And I had friends who knew what they were doing and could deal with you know, 35-year-old tape and not have it get eaten by their machines. I had it digitized, and then I put them on my Facebook page along with a a write-up of this story, and they all, and it went viral. Um, I don't know how many, you know, I don't want to say there were millions of people who picked it up, but it got shared thousands and thousands and thousands of times, both off of my page and then people would share it and their friends would share it and stuff like that. And then it got covered by a lot of websites and magazines, Entertainment Weekly picked it up. And there were a lot of places you could find them. And even today, if you go on uh, YouTube, you could find places where people have posted the audio recordings. Okay. Um, I think, you know, Star Wars phone messages, Empire Strikes Back phone messages, something like that. So you can find the recordings and listen to them today. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I'll have, yeah, I'll definitely have to do that after the show then, because I wasn't aware that they were, that they had been, that you had reposted them on the internet uh, several years ago. That's, that's pretty cool that you were able to unearth them and, <laughs> and it was able to have that kind of response. Yeah, and then, Actually, Lucasfilm apparently couldn't find their copies because once it, they, once someone there found, saw one of the articles about it, um, I was contacted and they asked me if I could provide them and the archives with a copy. Oh, okay. And that, is that what you did? Oh, sure. Well, why wouldn't I? Um, besides the fact that they could just download them from my Facebook page. Right. But, yeah, so they they got their copy. Uh, and, you know, it may still be that they have copies in the archives somewhere. I don't know how well organized their archives are. After 40 years, things get buried even at the best-maintained uh, libraries. Yeah, yeah, that, that that is absolutely true. 
I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I, when I think, when I think about something like that, it, it always reminds me of like, you know, growing up as a kid and having a Star Wars toy collection and wishing that, <laughs> that I would have kept them in mint condition and kept them in packages and things like that because of the, because of how, how crazy every, everything is now and how valuable the stuff has become and stuff, and stuff like that. That's a piece of history. So it's like you're, so it's like it's, it's just great that you were able to recover those. Yeah. But you know, who wants, who really wants to keep stuff in packages? Yeah. I, that's I, I, true. <laughs> I open yeah. all of my stuff. Um, you know, if I'm worried about reselling it 40 years later, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's that's the thing. And and again, when you're at that time, you're yeah, you're definitely not thinking. You're not thinking of that. So it's yeah, exactly. So and you so and now you've and now you've had you know several credits and stuff. You went on to do a lot of different things you, as a writer and stuff for various cartoons and other projects. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, after I left Lucasfilm, I became an independent uh, marketing consultant, and I stayed in that part of the business for about 10 years. I worked with Jim Henson on The Dark Crystal and Muppets Take Manhattan I worked with Disney on movies like Splash and The Black Cauldron, um, Warner Brothers on Excalibur and um, uh, Altered States, Universal Studios, um, lots of different genre movies over the ten, next 10 years. John Carpenter's The Thing. I worked on independent releases like The Wicker Man. Um but then after a while in the mid-80s, I decided I wanted to get into something more directly creative, and I got involved with writing. I'd always loved animation growing up. I was a big animation fan, and I found the, the first opportunity I found uh, for writing was on uh, a friend of mine had been hired to do a the animated to be the showrunner on the animated version of the real Ghostbusters or the, the animated version of Ghostbusters, which was called the real Ghostbusters. And I pitched to him. He let me pitch to him, and uh, he, he liked what I pitched. And eventually, it worked out that I wrote three episodes of the real Ghostbusters for its first season. And then I moved on to another show called The Bionic Six, which a lot of most people have never heard of, but it was moderately popular at, at its time. I did 10 episodes of that. And since then, I've been working um, as a writer, primarily in animation, although I did The Hunger for Showtime and some other live action shows. Um, but I've written hundreds of episodes of animation. I do a lot of work developing shows for companies. Um, I've written the, I've written Curious George and the Smurfs and GI Joe and Beast Wars and Godzilla and all kinds of stuff. And I've done um, shows in China, Australia, Latin America, Italy, France, 
I did two TV series in the Middle East a couple of years ago. Um, and so I do a lot of work. Right now I'm consulting on a uh, Russian-Chinese educational science series, um, giving notes on all of their scripts. And I'm about to start working on a rewrite of an animated feature I've been hired to rewrite. Oh, okay. Well, well, animation is wonderful, and a lot of the, and I, you know, I've seen a lot of that stuff you mentioned. You know, it's funny, you know, you mentioned Curious George, and Curious George is kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. I love that cartoon. So, so I, uh, and you know, you, you, you mentioned real Ghostbusters and, uh, in my opinion, the very first season of real Ghostbusters was the best one. So that's cool. Well, you, you have some writing credits in there. So, uh, well, thank you. Yeah. Curious George is a wonderful character. Everyone loves Curious George. And now I, I'm really kind of pleased because they've been adapting some of the TV episodes into new Curious George books. So there are now actual Curious George books that I'm, I you know, I didn't write the adaptation, but they're adaptations of my script. So I've effectively written Curious George books. That's great. Which, which is kind of cool, because, of course, I grew up reading Curious George books just like everybody else. Now, when you grew up reading uh, reading Curious George books, did he have a tail? <laughs> <laughs> no, Curious George is some unknown species of monkey that, you know, doesn't have a tail. Okay, so he's never had a tail, ever. So all those Not people that remember, aware. all those people remember that remember he have a, had a tail were remembering incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, people remember a lot of things that didn't happen, you know. Um, people remember the original release of Star Wars saying, chap, you know, uh, episode four, A New Hope. But it didn't say A New Hope. Um until the re till after the re-release of the Empire Strikes Back. So, because uh, so like when so you mean when so when Empire Strikes Back got the second got its second theatrical run, that's when they added they added a new hope for Star Wars. Yeah, or it might have been when they did the the re-release of Star Wars after there's, Empire because there's Strikes been so, Back. Because there's been so many different releases of of star wars yeah, I, too I, and i've been trying to i've been trying to cha- trace that down back down to like a new hope like because there's a lot of uh you know efforts right now to reconstruct out there in the fan community to reconstruct the star wars movies the way they were when they were first released and a lot of the you know um work that's been done omits the you know the new hope the new hope title and that the re and they say they say well that's because in 77 that title wasn't there so you you know and then people say well it should still be there and but i guess it depends who you who you talk to well it depends on how you feel about it if you want it to look like did in 1977 a new hope was not on the film it was just Um, called star wars it was just called star wars later and I, I, you know, it's long enough ago I forget exactly when. It may have been after 
it may have been the re-release after the opening of Empire that they added it to the prints of Star Wars. But it was it was at some point about then that it got added. It wasn't there prior to that. And then it was was it on the was it on the first home video release or was the first home video release always without it too? That's what I'm trying to think. Like, no, I I don't know for sure. I think I think the first home video release was before Empire came out. In which case, it wouldn't have been there. Okay. But no, I I don't really know. Uh, I'm just guessing. It's long enough ago that I don't remember when the first video release was. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm trying to I'm thinking about it like because they because there's so many different that again there were so many different releases for the Star Wars movies that it it's. <laughs> that in order to ever get like the original, they would have to go back. If they were to release the original prints in a modern format, that would take a lot of work and a lot of time. And I'm really still surprised to this day that it hasn't been done, you know, officially with modern technology in the in the yeah. In well, the, uh, uh, yeah. Assuming they could find all of the elements anymore to do it, but they should be able to. Yeah, I know that there were, you know, old imbibition style Technicolor prints struck of Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. So they should be able to find um, high quality positives, whether they have all the negative material anymore. I don't know. Yeah, because that's what the goal, what like the goal of certain uh, fan community groups had gone out and done, got. I think they got a, I think one of the groups. I can't remember the name of the group, but I think one of them got a hold of like a, like a thirteen, uh, thirty-five millimeter print, and then somebody got a hold of a sixteen millimeter print, and the elements were so bad that they had to basically do a composite edit between between both prints in order to be able to come up with something and then now they're you know in the pro been in the process for years of like remastering it and cleaning the print manually and doing all the different things so that they could you know they could uh have a have a complete um version of the seventy seventy seven star wars yeah well you know it would be nice if then net you know if there was a home video release where you could have the latest and greatest version that they want to release and you have an archival version of the original right um cuz there are a lot of old time fans who would like to have both but you know i guess it's the people who own it who get to make that decision and these days that's disney Right, and I, I, I just, I, I don't, and as big of a Star Wars fan as you are, and as much, you know, in the, the work that you did during the, you know, during the original era of Star Wars, how do you feel currently about where they're taking the franchise? Well, um, I actually like most of the new movies. I don't think they're perfect. I think they are flawed. I loved Rogue One. I thought Rogue One was terrific. Yeah. Right. I, I, I like I like Solo. Um, I think there was a little bit too much 
fan servicing. You know, yes, it was all about how he came to be the character we love, but I didn't even know he had a beloved blaster that he'd been using all of his life. I thought it was just the gun he happened to be using at the moment. So I guess I didn't need to know that he got it on that initial, you know, mine train uh, robbery kind of thing. Um, so that was a little too much creation, I thought. But but overall, I liked it. I think Kira is a great character. I'd I'd love to see more of her. Um, the last, the, the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi, I enjoyed. I don't think they're perfect. I really didn't care for the casino planet. I think that was a I perfectly <laughs> I think it's a per, I think it's a perfectly good set piece, you know, but I didn't think it added anything to the movie because nothing that happened there mattered to the rest of the movie. It's, all it did was introduce Benicio del Toro's character who I assume we'll be seeing more of in the next movie. But, you know, other than introducing him, he doesn't accomplish anything. Our heroes could just as well have said, well, we're going to have to figure out a way to sneak in and fail and get caught the way they did. You know, that could have happened just as well, and the movie wouldn't have been, for, you know, wouldn't have been 40 minutes longer. Um, so, but I mean, overall, I like the movie. I think most of the characters are good. I, um, I was, ex I was expecting going in with, you know, I had no foreknowledge, no information as to what was going to be in there. I went in thinking Luke was going to get killed. It just seemed to me that they'd end up killing his character in the movie. And at the end, they fooled me. I missed the fact that his character wasn't leaving footprints in the in the sand, whatever the white surface of the planet was. And so I thought he was there and then I then he seemed to get killed and I thought and I thought okay, I was right, they killed him and then we found out he wasn't there and I thought, "Oh, they fooled me. He isn't going to die." And then he died, and it's like, okay, they fooled me twice. I mean, that bit worked for me. I thought that was well done filmmaking. I was expecting him to die and to come back in the third movie in the trilogy as a sort of ghostly Obi-Wan character. You know, that's what I'd been expecting going in. And oh, But overall, I thought these are perfectly fine movies. Um are they the best Star Wars movies? No. Star Wars and Empire are the best Star Wars movies. Were they acceptable? Yeah. I like the, I certainly like them better than any of the prequels. Um, I, you know, are they perfect? No. Did I enjoy them? Yeah. Overall, yes. I find so, that, I find that, I find that it's, it's, ironic now that there's places where you look online and people are asking for people are asking for George Lucas to return to the franchise now because there's been a lot of backlash regarding the last Jedi but in my I find that to be funny because these are the same people that hated the prequels 
and put George Lucas in the, pos- in the position he was in at the time, and now and now they all want him back because of because of the last. I, yeah, Jedi. I agree completely. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I didn't really enjoy the prequels, um, I thought it was going overboard to say, you know, George Lucas destroyed my childhood and he ruined right, Star right. I thought that was way over the top. And now the same people, as you said, just said, who wanted him off of Star Wars now want him back, um, like he's, like he is the only one who gets it right and they forget the fact that they hated them. They also forget, no, you know, the internet wasn't around when we did Empire Strikes Back. They forget that fans weren't as thrilled with Empire at the time as everyone remembers. People thought there was too much humor in it. They didn't like, you know, um, what was a Jedi doing being a hermit? Which, that was my favorite complaint about, um, the Force Awakens, Luke had become a hermit. A Jedi wouldn't do that, except every Jedi we met in Star Wars and Empire, being Obi-Wan and Yoda, had gone off and made himself a hermit. So he did exactly what they did. Um, you know, but a lot of the complaints I heard about the last uh, about the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi were the same ones we were getting from a lot of fans on Empire Strikes Back. Now everyone loves Empire; it's the best Star Wars movie, and I I do agree with that. It's the best Star Wars movie, but people don't remember that the the complaints that came out. Um, it just wasn't as organized. There wasn't an internet, so millions of people would see it. But the same thing was going on then. So was it? So was it through? So was it through letters and stuff? You guys would get letters of people complaining about about Empire Strikes Back, or it was letters. <laughs> I mean, it was fanzines. You okay, know, fanzines, amateurly published. Magazines, Mimeo, Xerox, that kind of okay. thing. That and, and they and they actually complained that Empire Strikes Back had too much humor in it. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> I absolutely. mean, it's the darkest one. It's the darkest one of the three. So you. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, it's it is the darkest one of the three. But there are places where there are gags in it. Um, co- you know, comedic lines, wise ass remarks, that sort of thing. Um, and people complained about it at the time. And so you didn't have anybody complaining that it was too dark of a movie? There was never oh, anything there, like that? There, or? There, were, there, were, there were certainly those complaints, too. Star Wars was fun. This is dark. Oh, we got wow. those complaints as well. Um, you know? Uh, but when I, when I worked on Return to Oz, which was also produced by Gary Kurtz, who produced it was also Star Wars very, Empire, was also very, very dark at Return to Oz. We got complaints that Return to Oz was dark and that Mombi was a scary witch when in the original, uh, Wizard of Oz, by which they mean the 1939 Judy Garland, which isn't actually the original. Which isn't the original. It's, but it's the one, but it's the one everyone knows, so it's okay. Um, they said that that was funny, that it wasn't scary, and that 
the Wicked Witch of the of the West was a comical witch. And it's like, you don't remember watching it as a little kid. She became a stereotype or, you know, uh, because she was so imprinted on everybody. But kids were terrified of her. She was scary to kids. So I remember know, being scared scared of her when I seen it when I was a kid. I remember that. I remember that movie really freaking me out as a kid. So yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't understand that, that like, at all. That was in like major reviews complaining <laughs> that it was it was dark and mo- and you know Mombi was scary instead of being funny, and it's just 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 totally surprising but you know it's the reaction of the moment and everyone's opinion is you know valid it doesn't mean it's an absolute truth it just means it's your opinion that's your taste some people like peanut butter some people don't like peanut butter you know doesn't mean either one is right it's your taste. You're allowed to like the food you like. You're allowed to like the movies you like. And you're allowed to not like stuff. You just don't get to tell other people what they get to like. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, the point you just made about telling other people, that's exactly what we have in the Internet culture. That's all. That's what we're what we're bombarded with most of the time people telling other yeah. people what to like it's a it is it's 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 strange but i yeah, think if we would have had the internet back then when those movies were around you would have had the same you would have had the same kind of thing i kind of wonder with the way that the internet is now and the way that the internet literally shapes for studios and stuff nowadays the direction that things go in because studios seem to be so reactionary nowadays when they get, when they hear stuff on the internet. And if the internet is around back then, I shudder to think about how, how much different some of these, some of these later Star Wars movies would have turned out. Well, you know, every studio is different. They've always been very responsive by which I mean, they listen to and they make responsive. They don't always do what the public wants or even understand necessarily what the public wants. But, you know, they show movies uh, at test screenings or sneak previews. They used to, they used to call them and have them um, to get ideas. Even back, um, when Star Wars was being made, Fox had a marketing department that did market research and they did surveys and their surveys, which were legitimate, but flawed. The first survey said, don't make science fiction movies. No one wants to see a science fiction movie, which was true in the, in the mid seventies. Science fiction was not a popular genre. We forget about that today when every other movie is either science fiction or superheroes or some other genre movie. Back then, that wasn't the case. Science fiction wasn't popular. And they said, if you do make this movie, change the title. No one wants to see a movie with war in the title. And that was because in 1970s, we'd just come out of Vietnam 
and people were tired of the war. So taken in abstract, just the phrase Star Wars, out of context, nothing to tell you what it's about, people didn't react positively to the title. So that was a legitimate market research. Fortunately, um, Alan Ladd Jr., who was running uh, 20th Century Fox at the time, decided not to go by that research. I think they also asked the wrong people these questions, um, but that gets into too much of the nuts and bolts of how they did the research. But the thing is, research only goes so far. Right. Um, you still have to trust your instincts. You still have to, you know, figure out what works and what doesn't work and who your audience is and work to do that. But if everything you do is reactive, you won't do anything really creative. You have to trust your gut and go for it. And fortunately for all of us, uh, Alan Ladd Jr. trusted his gut and allowed Star Wars to get made. Yeah, that that's wonder that's that's wonderful because <laughs> I mean I look at the internet and I look at the way now it seems like and I don't know if this is just because of the way stuff is being reported or if it's if it's always been this way or if it's just something that um yeah, maybe it's always been this way and we're just being more and more exposed to it now, but it seems like more and more of these movies are being studio mandated and studio and and studio controlled in terms of the direction the movie goes in versus trusting the director's vision and the creative the creative writing writing and the elements behind a lot of these movies it seems like nowadays because there's so much money in these movies that studios are dipping in creatively and trying to steer steer the movies in one direction versus the other and i think a lot of the times now we're hearing about it and seeing it it just seems like it it seems like it's more rampant now than it was back then but has it always been this way has it always been more oh, of oh, oh yeah of, i mean back back to the 1930s which of course predates me but i mean it's well known that even back in the 30s, studios would make demands on how a picture would run before they, you know, they'd want changes in scripts. They'd do all kinds of things. Movies got reshot. They got changed. Um, fa- famously, and now I'm forgetting the title, but one of the Humphrey Bogart, Warren Bacall mysteries from the 19. 30s, Maltese, one of the, Maltese Falcon, <laughs> or but it wasn't or, uh, Maltese Falcon. It was one of the ones. Um, well, Lauren Bacall wasn't in Maltese Falcon, but um, so but it wasn't. It, was one of it wasn't Castle Black. <laughs> and, and I just can't remember offhand which one it was. But they the made it. Sleep? Yeah, I, I. You know, you're throwing out the titles won't help me because I just can't remember. Um, but they made it. It wasn't working, and they reshot a lot of it. They changed Lauren Bacall's wardrobe. They changed dialogue, and they released it a second time in a bigger release to great success. And, in fact, the DVD release of the movie 
has both versions of it, so you could see the way it plays. I'm not sure that every DVD release of it has it, but you could see the way it plays with her in one wardrobe and with different dialogue in certain scenes. So, I mean, it was, it was always going on. Some t- again, it depends on the filmmakers, um, the head of the, who the head of the studio was, who the director was, who the stars were, you know, who has the most clout. And you're right, it's also the money. Back then, the money wasn't as gigantic. Even in, you know, inflation, even uh, allowing for the different values of inflation, they weren't making movies that were the equivalent of $200 million. The way movies are, you know, the big blockbusters are getting made now. So there's more people worried about the investment and more worried about making decisions after the fact as what to do, how long the movie should be, what scenes play, what the ending should be. And, you know, it just varies. It ha- different studios, different things happen, different executives. Um, but it's always been there. It's always been the, the people with the money get to make the final decisions. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we just hear about it more now because of the Internet. It gets mm. leaked more prominently in terms of with all with with a lot of these modern movies that are coming out now the bigger budgets the bigger you know the directors and and my thing is is it's like when a studio hires a director and they they know the type of work that a director that a director does and then if they then they don't like his movie and they want to make changes if you hire a director don't you hire a director based on Knowing that director and knowing the kind of movie he can make, I mean, I just get confused by a lot of the, a lot of the situations going on now. I, I feel like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really complex process. And one of my favorite, my favorite, uh, quotes ever is, no good movie has ever been made by committee. But aren't they all made by committee? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And you know, like, like I say, it, it always depends, but, in the best of all possible worlds, one writer would write the script, one director would direct it, and he would work with the editor to make the final cut of the movie. But sometimes the people behind the movie, the, the producers and the studio, don't, tr- don't like the result, and so they change it. They'll bring in a different writer to rewrite the dialogue or to redraw, to rewrite the whole script though. There are occasions when directors are fired and new directors Mm -hmm. are brought in. And there are times when after the director turns in his cut, the studio takes it over and recuts it. And there are reshoots. I mean, it happens. um, And sometimes it's someone being overbearing. Sometimes it's, they should have, the movie should have come out good. It looked good on paper, but it just didn't work. The director was, it's a, a good director, but not able to bring something out of that set of actors. Um, the director wasn't up to the material. The actors weren't up to it. Yeah. There's so many different things it could be. And, and, and again, sometimes it's just 
a producer decides that, and when I say producer, I mean not just the person whose name is on it as producer, but studio executives just lose faith in it. And you also get situations where the management of the studio changes. And when that happens in the middle of a production, suddenly someone else's taste comes into play. So, and, you know, and then when, and in that, and in, and in those instances, when it happens in the middle of production, would, would that, I mean, that, that sounds like that would, that would wreak havoc on everybody involved because you would have all these additional changes and things that you weren't expecting at any point. That's. Well, you, you know, you never know. Sometimes the new management will want changes during production. Sometimes they'll look at the finished work and want to change it after it's finished and you have reshoots and re-edits right. and things. Yeah, again, it's such a complicated process. Even under the best of circumstances, it's a miracle good movies happen. Because it's so easy <laughs> yeah. for things to go wrong. You know, it's a, um, if the actors don't have chemistry, they may be great actors, but they don't have chemistry between them. And that could be a romance, or it could be a buddy picture, or it could be whatever. Then even though it seemed good, they're great actors, it just didn't work. And, you know, so it varies. And and things happen during production that you can't predict. You know, if any, if people knew how to do it great every time, there wouldn't be bad movies because you'd do it that way. It's why studios like hiring people who've worked on hit movies. Yeah. You know, to, to quote William Goldman, no one knows anything. So they hope because this last movie made a lot of money, you've, you know, you've touched the lightning. You know the magic and it'll happen again. So they rehire you because you made it work. It's, and it's because no one really knows. It's all, it's all a matter of taste. Why is one novelist's novel good and then the next book that they write not as good? Yeah. You'd think they'd all be just as good because it's the same writer, but sometimes it's the same writer writing the same characters. Yeah, yeah, that's, so a, that's it, a good point. Know, like, well, for like for example, if all these people that are complaining about and that they want that they want George Lucas back, if they got their wish and George Lucas got to come back and do another Star Wars movie, if it, if it didn't turn out as great as they hope it would because they're not thinking about the prequels that they hated, then they would be back on hating George Lucas again. So it's... Well, and it, it's also, you have to remember, it isn't because... George isn't there not because they forced him out. If George wanted to make a Star Wars movie, or any movie, he could make one. Well, he might not be able to make a Star Wars movie because he doesn't own the rights to it anymore. But assuming Disney didn't care he could make it he's got all the money he needs yeah um george sold lucasfilm because that's not what he wants to do anymore he stopped directing star wars movies because that's not what he wants to do anymore so you know it's not it's not because the big bad disney won't let him 
They didn't force him to sell. They didn't, you know, it was George's decision. He wants to spend his time doing other things. He's, he's also not that young a man anymore. He's in his seventies. Um, he wants to do other things that he wants to do. And he's kind of earned that right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree. That's why I, that's why I just think it's it's funny hearing all these calls to to bring him back. And you know, because you made a great point. If he wanted to be making him, he could make another one. There's nothing really stopping him from doing it if if Disney was okay with it. And at this point, I have to wonder if Disney would be okay with it. They actually might be. I mean, it's mm, yeah. You, I mean, you never you never know. I mean, there are all kinds of things that go into those things but Kathy Kennedy's there because George picked her he asked her to become president of Lucasfilm and um, she's a very talented filmmaker Um, I met Kathy when she was Steven's assistant on Raiders of the Lost Ark Um, and she's worked a long hard time learning her craft, becoming a great producer of movies that she's made with and uh, with her husband, Frank Marshall, who uh, produced Raiders. Um, and people asked me when they, when Disney was first going to make movies and that Kathy was in charge, not that my opinion means anything, but they asked me what I thought about, you know, upcoming Star Wars movies and I said at the time that I have great faith in Kathy's ability to produce a good movie and um, Larry Kasdan was writing so you know if anyone knows how to write a Star Wars movie you would think Larry would be the one so I had great faith in both of them going in Um, and I still think Kathy knows what she's doing um, you know, I look at, um, I look at the movies that come out, you know, look at Rogue One. That's a great movie. Look at Solo. That's a really good movie. Um, what complaints I have with The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi certainly have nothing to do with the production, um, of them. And, you know, they're, they're, script issues more than anything um and why and i and like i said even with the issues i have with them i still enjoyed them i had a good time um i've seen i've seen all of them twice so and i can tell you i i wasn't at the premiere of solo but i was at the premiere screenings of Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and Rogue One, and the fans in the audience loved those movies at the time they were watching them. People were yes, cheering, applauding, um, and those were hardcore fans at those screenings. You know, a lot of five oh first people, a lot of um, all the various different fan groups were invited to the premieres along with the stars and you know other filmmakers um so a lot of people enjoyed those movies and you know 
I, I think she was an excellent choice. She certainly knew the franchise. She knew the people involved. And she's a great filmmaker. So you do you think that she's going to continue there? She's going to continue on as the president of Lucasfilm? Um, because I think I, as far as I mean, I obviously have no inside information. Bob Iger isn't calling me up and saying, what do you think? But I see no reason why she wouldn't be. All of the movies made money. Um, Solo didn't make as much as they hoped it would, but it wasn't like, you know, it was a great disaster. And, and every studio head has movies that flop. Yeah, there's been nobody that's got, that's had a perfect run. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, so certainly the results have not been anything that would make them say, we got to get rid of her. Um, I, 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 you know, I just don't see it. Um, you know, I, I know there's a faction that really hate the movies. Um, some of it has been characterized as people not liking the prevalence of female characters or prevalence of, uh, people of color in the movies. I don't know if that's what they don't like about it or not. Um, you know, I hope that's not what they don't like about it because I think that that shouldn't be an issue. Um, you know, there were certainly people loved Lando. He certainly was a person of color. People love Leia from the beginning. She's certainly a woman and a main character. Absolutely. Um, so to to suddenly be upset because there are female characters or black or Asian or Hispanic or whatever characters just doesn't make any sense to me. No, I uh, agree with you. I think, and I, and that's where I, I kind of, I'm kind of along the lines with you where I feel like it's any issues that I have with any of these new movies have all been either script related or plot related, but not related to any specific thing like diversity in the movies or anything like that, because those are what these movies are. And it's like you, it's like I, I feel like it's when you when you get to a point where you have fandom that is so strong like like Star Wars and, and it's such a it's such a big thing and it's actually I I look at Star Wars I don't ever look at Star Wars as just like a film franchise Star Wars has become an entity because of so because of all the through all the time and the fandom and the films themselves it's just it's bigger than any than any one franchise and it feels to me like when it when it gets like that fandom almost starts to take ownership of the films in such a way that it becomes harder and harder not to be not to be critical when you are used to things in a certain way or you want things to be a certain yeah. way and and the idea of when they like when they threw out um all of the all of the novels and like the extended canon that they had when they decided to make the new movies that upset a lot of people too because that well, that canon had been around for almost as long as Star Wars had in and of itself with the films and then you have all of these things that aren't being adhered to and one of the funniest things I, I, I had ever seen 
leading up to uh, the release of Force Awakens was when J.J. Uh, Abrams had did a video where people were calling in asking him questions about the Force Awakens and one of the people who called in was George Lucas and George Lucas asked uh, I think he asked J.J. Abrams where where uh, where and uh, where Han and Leia's grandchildren were and uh, and J.J. Abrams laughed at him and said well you tell me you wrote you wrote the stuff so it it it, yeah. To me, it, it, no, it's I, just... <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know what? Originally, only the movies were canon. Yeah. Because I actually discussed this with George at one point, and the policy was the movies were canon, anything that appeared anywhere else, the novels, the comic books, whatever, were... Um, other tales about these characters, but they weren't canon. They were in, you know, in comic book lingo, they were imaginary stories. You know, when they used to tell stories about Superman. The what, the what, if, the what ifs. <laughs> yeah, all that. But they were not, they were not canon and they were never to be considered canon. And so then later over the years, suddenly they were decreed to be canon. And then when they decided, oh, they're not canon after all, it's like, okay, but you know, it, they're all, in one sense, they're all imaginary stories. This isn't real. Right. So it's whatever we say is the stories is the stories. And so I, I agree that there's some good stuff in those, that material. Tim Zahn wrote some great books. A lot of other people wrote great um, Star Wars novels and Star Wars stories, but whether or not they're canon, you know, it is. It did begin as a movie franchise, and the movies are what is canon. Um, so, you know, I uh, I I know that Lucasfilm changed its mind as to what's what is canon that could be annoying right they classified they classified now the uh the comic books and the the novels that were considered canon at one point they're classified as legends now which yeah. which i think it which i think is fine because you can you can branch it off almost as if you were to say well well is star wars Star Wars a, mu- a multiverse then you have the movies over here you have these legend stories over here and then you have the lo- the new material that's that's coming out I mean you can look at yeah, as a fan know, you can it, look at it any way you like so right it amounts to the, you know it amounts to imaginary stories at, for a while in in the DC universe there was Earth 1 and Earth 2 and Earth this and Earth that, and they were doing, this happened on Earth 2, so it doesn't affect the continuity on Earth 1 and stuff like that. Right. And then they crisis on Infinite Earths to get rid of all that stuff and say, okay, this is the new continuity, only stuff from here forward counts. Um, but, you know, it, it's all it's all interesting. I just think some people take it very, very seriously. Um, and... And I know I, I, you know, I love Star Wars. I've always loved Star Wars, both because I worked on it, but also as a fan of science fiction and of movies. You just can't let it be that serious where, you know, you get into heated arguments and 
threaten people and hit people and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, you're taking it too seriously. Yes, yes, definitely. I, I, I think that it, it's reached a, it's reached a new point of, of craziness in the sense of, of where it is. And I had seen something where I, a group of people had gotten together, uh, that because they absolutely hated The Last Jedi and had gotten together and said that they were, that they had enough, they had enough money where they could, where they could literally remake the Last Jedi, and I thought that was hilarious because I was like, "There's no way, even if you go to Disney yourself and say that you will finance it 100 percent, they're not going to let you remake the movie. It just would never happen." So no, I, I, I just I didn't, I, I just didn't understand the point. I was like, "That's crazy," but I remember seeing it online. But people get so excited. But you know, if you accept everything as canon. I put R2-D2 and C-3PO on Sesame Street. Those episodes of Sesame Street were not played like variety shows. Those were played as serious stories. The R2 and C-3PO had somehow gotten to Sesame Street. And they were interacting with these characters, um, Big Bird and all the kids and the other people, as if it was, you know, they were the regular R2 and 3PO from the movies. Well, there's no way in ca- in the canon of Star Wars that R2 and 3PO are on Sesame Street, and suddenly Sesame Street is part of Star Wars canon, um, and, you know, and suddenly you could do all these other episodes, the other, the, these other stories where Big Bird shows up, um, yeah. So you you can't just say everything is <laughs> canon. And I mean, I did those between Star Wars and Empire as official Star Wars stuff. You know, so it it's you just have to How did they get there? How did they get on Sesame Street? Was it a was it a malfunctioning escape pod or something? <laughs> You know, I don't, I really don't remember how we explained them being there. They were just, they just <laughs> found themselves there. Um, and they run into Big Bird and then he introduces them to other characters. And we did like four, like five or six segments with them on Sesame Street doing stuff. And, um, you know, it was fun to do. They ran for a long time and you could find those on, on YouTube as well. If you search for star, you know, R2D2 Sesame Street, we brought Tony Daniels in and he was C3PO and we used in a radio controlled R2D2, which was mostly what R2 was in the movie. Um, and, uh, so, you know, they were, they were fun. Um, and kid, uh, kids seem to love them. Yeah, well, I mean, at that, you know, at that point, the idea is you can get, you can use Star Wars for promotional purposes for just about, for just about anything in a positive way like that. And that's, and that, that's, that's awesome. I mean, and you had, not only that, you also had the, had the cartoons at the time, the, um, the C3PO and R2D2, they had their own cartoon, didn't they? At one point, it was. Uh, I don't know. That would have been later, I th- so I wasn't. I think it was called. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I think they did. A, they had their own cartoon a little later it too. Was no, 
theories, I know. Um, now, were you involved with that? Now, were you involved at all when they did the Star Wars Holiday Special? I was not directly involved with the Holiday Special. I was there, and I was getting all the drafts of the scripts, but it was not uh, it was not a project I was directly involved with. So I had no input on it other than reading the script. Oh, okay. Because I always wondered whose idea it was to have B. Arthur singing in it, but I just... No. <laughs> no, I, um, I, as, as I think you know, I've written a book about my years at Star Wars, which should be coming out sometime next year, called Star Wars Memories. And I talk I at wait. some length about the holiday special, but the and, and a lot of the other stuff we've talked about today... Um, but the holiday special really gets a bad rap. I'm not saying it's good. It's it's not good. But it was a TV variety special very much like hundreds of others that were being done in the 70s and 80s. Um, they were mostly themed variety shows starring people who had TV series on that network in order to promote those actors and their shows. And this one, and they were usually holiday themed. Oh, the ABC Christmas special or the CBS Valentine's Day special. And they were a lot of comedy skits and singing. Um, and they did this one theme to Star Wars. And a lot of the audience thought it's going to be a TV version of Star Wars. And they oh, came wow. in expecting a much different thing than it was ever going to be. And so it doesn't matter how good it is. If it's not what you're expecting, you're disappointed. Sure. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't very good. I'm not defending it in terms of being a great thing that was misunderstood, but it was misunderstood and it isn't, it isn't terrible compared to the other kinds of variety shows that were being done in that period. It was unfortunately written mostly by people who didn't really understand Star Wars and, um, a lot of the segments just weren't very funny, but a lot of variety special segments weren't very funny. It also started out to be a one-hour special, and then the network got excited and decided and asked to do it as a 90-minute special, and then they decided to do it as a two-hour special because they knew the ratings would be huge. Um, and George really wasn't paying that much attention because he was concerned with other projects like The Empire Strikes Back. Um, and it just kind of went off the rails as it very quickly got expanded. Because the original material, which was like um, the Boba Fett animated sequence, um, that stuff wasn't that bad. Right, the, I agree. As they added more material written quickly, 
that stuff got weaker and weaker and the overall product wasn't what we anyone would have hoped it would be but it really wasn't quite as terrible as people say not good but not not the worst thing ever done so so at one point this special was only going to be an hour so so you th- you could think you could almost think about it if it was only meant to be an hour initially it probably would have been okay as an hour special they probably it probably would have would have, would have a better reputation nowadays it- i you know i i would think so but who knows yeah, I, I, and especially because it had, you know, it did have the, have the, um, have all of the actual actors in it as well. It was, yep. you know, all the main characters were there, so it's kind of like, you feel like if you got a, you got something like that where you're going to have all the main characters, that would be, that would have been awesome if it was done in a more, uh, more creative, streamlined way where it actually felt like it was something more Star Wars, uh, more Star Wars related instead of being so geared towards variety special kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. but yeah. I, but I mean, I like, I like the point that you've made that it isn't necessarily, it's not as bad as people make it out to be. And I think they only make it out to be that bad because it is Star Wars. You know, and you, they expect yeah. a higher, they expect a higher quality from Star Wars. There's more of a, of a, uh, you know, it, it should be of a higher quality considering where it comes from and considering that they did have all the actors at the time too. You know, yeah. I, I almost want to say that they might have been better off making it into almost like some sort of, some sort, not necessarily a TV version of Star Wars, but something Star Wars related that actually really did tie in with the movies and tied in with the actual story itself, along with having the, with having those, having all those actors. I mean, they could have used everyone that they used, but just geared it in a more, uh, serious way, maybe? I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm trying. There's, thinking. there's no way to know what, <laughs> what they could have done, they could have done, and you know, and it might have been different. We'll we'll never know. Exactly. That's the that's the sad part about it. We'll ne- we'll never know. But when now, when you had read that script, did you get to read the initial one hour script that they had planned for it? Oh yeah, I, I I I was I was sent copies of all of the all of the drafts. I read all the different versions. At at this point, I can't remember for sure what was added into the different versions. I do know the Boba Fett stuff was in the um, original version and the Wookiee Planet material, although in a shorter version, was in the original material. But beyond that, I just don't remember. Well, what I mean, I, I just want to know, and I have a, I, I'm getting a, a question from someone in one of the chat rooms. They want to know, uh, and they want to know what happened to Labaka all those years later. Do we do we know whatever happened? Will we ever will we ever see Labaka again? <laughs> uh, who knows? Yeah, it's again, it's hard it's hard to say. I I I just and I and I want to know too. Like, was was B Arthur always supposed to be in this, uh-huh. even when it was just one hour? I'm losing you. 
Oh, okay. Are you, are you there? Can you, can you hear me okay now? Or is it? Here, let me, cause I, 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 I seem, seemed like you're, you were cutting out there for a moment, but we'll get you, we'll get you back in. Up. Okay, it seemed like you'd cut, you cut out there for a minute. I think the call dropped or something. Yeah, I guess we got this. It, I, I suddenly lost reception. I could, I could sort of hear you making noises, but I couldn't make it out. And then the call dropped. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't make it out either. But that, you know, but that happens so sometimes. So again, we have to say thank you, Skype, for 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 that. <laughs> that happens often uh, with Skype. But uh, the only only other question I had for you about the holiday special was when the show was an hour. Uh, was was B. Arthur always supposed to be in it? Um, I am sure she was because she was one of the main stars on the network at the time. Okay. And the purpose of these specials was always to promote the stars of the network. Okay. Okay. So, cool. Well, I yeah, yeah I just wanted well, to know. <laughs> okay, so we would have had something. We would have had something with her, but maybe not just not to the extent that she. Uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't, I can't tell you for sure. Um, I, and again, I really don't remember anymore. It was almost 40 years now ago. At the, so, okay, but here's the thing. At the time, was that, was that well received at the time that it aired? Like, was it a success because a lot of people watched it or what, like, did well, it, it help it the a, network at the success, time? It was a success because a lot of people watched it, but because so many people thought they were going to get a TV version of Star Wars, there was a lot of disappointment in it in that regard. So people weren't thrilled with it, and George, when he finally saw it, hated it. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's been, and that's been well documented. I mean, I think at one point he had been quoted as saying something along the lines of he wishes he could burn every copy. (laughs) So. Well, so it's it's never been rerun uh, officially. Of course, there are bootleg versions of it out oh, there. Yeah. Very, very but, good, high quality bootleg versions of it. I might add that it's yeah. it's it's amazing that they exist. I mean, it really is. I I uh, I find that to be fascinating. I always thought, you know, because it had had such a such a bad bad rap i mean i think the first time i seen it it had played at a at a science fiction convention i had gone to and i'd seen it and i couldn't believe then that it was that it actually existed that it was something that they really that people had preserved and that it it was uh you know that you could actually watch it in a decent, you know, in a decent quality, and I think I think that's one of the things I expected after having seen it. This is something that I, I wouldn't have been surprised to have been completely lost forever in terms of Star Wars and Star Wars lore because they, you know, it it was so you know negatively I, received. Where but, they found good qual a good quality copy, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it was all I know is it was a really nice print of it. I don't, I don't know where it came from. I just know that I, I'd seen it at a convention, and I'm, I'm surprised that it. Uh, I'm just surprised that it exists. 
but I'm I'm thinking at this point that you know, it's been long enough, and if it exists to where you know exci- that fans can have it and can preserve can preserve it, it can be re- officially released at some point. Probably never will, but yeah, I I don't think they'll ever officially. Uh... <laughs> you know, release it because it doesn't have a good reputation and they probably, you know, just don't want to have to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could. So I'll, I mean, we're, I'm gonna, um, I wanted to ask you, I mean, if you've got, if you've got a little more time, I know we've, you've been here for a little longer than you, you said you were, uh, you could do an I, hour I, and I, I, I know you, I can, I can, I can give you a couple more minutes, but I am going to have give to me get a, off soon. Okay, cool. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad you can give me a couple more minutes. I did, I didn't want to hold you up if you had to go. And we didn't even take a we hadn't even taken like a break or anything. But I mean, I've been enjoying this conversation so much, and and I and I'm so thankful to have you here tonight. And I'm just glad that you've been willing to share all this stuff with me because it's always fun to hear all this stuff. Being you know the uber Star Wars fan that I am, I'm just excited to be able to talk about stuff from the era of Star Wars that I appreciate the most. So. Um, um, what is your most, what is a, like your, your most fondest memory of, of having worked on, in, in, with Star Wars and Lucasfilm? What do you, what stands out to you? Do you have any specific thing that you remember that stands out the most to you? Well, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things. There are all kinds of things that have different meanings and different importance, you know. Being able to operate R2-D2 uh, for television appearances, that was co- really cool. Um, going and being on the set while we were shooting Empire Strikes Back, that was, you know, amazing. Because, you know, remember, I'm, I'm a science fiction fan. I'm a movie fan. So I was, it wasn't just a job. I was, you know, nerding out on this kind of stuff. Um, I really enjoyed doing all of that. Doing Sesame Street was great. And I, I also met my wife because of, um, doing, uh, this. I met her at a convention. Oh, wow. I was doing promotion for, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. So. That's a beautiful story. Wow. So your wife is a huge Star Wars fan, science fiction fan as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's great. That is that is wonderful. Wow. Like I, you know, um, like now, now do you do you go to? Have you gone to any like comic book conventions and things recently? Uh, in like recent years, have you appeared at any or? Um, oh sure, I go to a lot of conventions. Um, if conventions. I mean, most of the cons I go to are here in Southern California. Uh, okay. I was at San Diego Comic Con. I was at Long Beach Comic Con. Um, but I go there both for Star Wars and be with regard to um, animation because I do a lot of I do right. a lot of programs about Star Wars and about animation. And I get when I'm invited and conventions bring me in, I'll go to cons all over the country. Um, and in fact, I've gone to cons all over the world to do presentations and talks about Star Wars and stuff. And that's how I ended up actually writing this book, uh, 
Um, they flew me. They invited me to be a guest at a Star Wars convention in Finsa, Norway, which is the place we shot the exteriors for Hoth. And so um, I, from that and some other convention appearances, I put together a slideshow of stuff and told stories. And from that, I decided to actually sit down and write my uh, Star Wars memories book. And um, so, yeah, I do a lot of conventions and stuff. I don't, you know, I travel more out of the area when someone's willing to, pay for me to show up because it gets expensive doing that airfare and, and hotel rooms and stuff, but I'm always happy to do it. I like talking to fans and uh, seeing people and talking about star Wars and talking about animation too. That's, that's great. That That is so awesome. And I'm definitely looking forward to your book. I'm definitely going to pick it up. And in fact, I think the last thing I want to ask you is after your book is released and I've read it, can I have you on again to talk about your book? Oh, absolutely. I'll be happy to. I would be, that would be so, that would be so wonderful. I mean, this is, I mean, all of the stuff that you've shared tonight has been great. I'm sure everybody listening has enjoyed hearing all the things that you've had to say about it and that experience is great. And I'm going to actually go and, uh, look up those archives so I can hear the, hear the, uh, the telephone, the telephone messages. I'm going to look those up okay. on YouTube. <laughs> so that that should be fun. But I do want to thank you very much again for being here and I you know I won't hold you up any longer. Uh thank you for thank you for being on the show. It was wonderful having you. Okay. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And la- and ladies and gentlemen, that was Craig Miller and it it was a, that was a wonderful show. That was just that was just fantastic. I I I mean, I'm super super excited. Um, I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of geeking out right now because I've never gotten a chance to really talk to anyone who's, who's so, who was so involved with Star Wars. I don't think I've ever had anybody on this particular show or, you know, any podcast I've done, um, and that, that was involved with Star Wars. So this is, so this is kind of, this was, this was really, really exciting, um, I, I'm gonna, I'm actually, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna end the show, I'm not gonna end the show right now, I, I, I just wanna geek out for a few more minutes, I'm, uh, and just enjoy, enjoy how that, how that turned out. I was, I was a little worried initially because I had started off the show like I start off most shows with a bit of a technical issue, but it, it got overcome, and I hope everybody listening has been able to to enjoy this. So I'm getting a caller right now. I'm about to bring him in, and uh, the caller is none other than the Jackal himself. Hey, Jackal, welcome to the Zod Rider Show. My goodness, what an awesome show, Mr. Zod Rider. That is an amazing guest. Craig is amazing. That was yep. that was that turned out even better than I hoped it would. I'm so I'm so excited. I'm geeked right now. I I was speechless throughout half of it. I really I had a lot of questions for him, but he was doing such a wonderful job filling me in on anything everything. I really, you know, I was like, my God, I I didn't even get to ask him everything I wanted to, but he he was very very thorough. I didn't really need to. 
Yeah, no, no. Awesome show, awesome guest. I'm just sad that I couldn't get in a little bit earlier. Yeah, I'm uh, so sorry. I don't. I yeah. didn't even. I didn't even know. I, I didn't even know. But I knew that he had to go, though. He was kind of in a hurry because yeah. he had told me initially that he could only be on for an hour, and we've already gone for over an hour and a half. And I oh, hadn't, yeah. you know, I hadn't, I hadn't broke or anything. He'd been on with me since the beginning, and it just, and as a Star Wars fan, I mean, I'm geeking out, and I don't really, you know, I'm not even paying attention. I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing, like, I, you know, to the time because I was going to take a break and and whatever. Right. But but then when I knew I only had him for an hour, I was like, well, we'll just. We'll just go with it and see where it goes. And it's rare when you get a guest like that that engages you for an entire, you know, for an, almost an entire show like that where you just want to stay on and, and, you know, just keep listening to what he has to say. And he covered see, my, a lot of ground. My biggest fear was calling in and messing up your, your you know, flow uh, with some Skype issue. So Yeah, well, that's what I was afraid of, too. Which, which again, you know, I, you know, and I talk about this on this show all the time. You know, I, I beat up Skype a lot on the Zod Rider show because every time and I do a show, I always have a problem. It's been terrible. Like, I even, there was even a technical issue with this show. I, and I'm going to tell the audience and you that what happened with that. At the beginning, when I first called him, I, I couldn't hear him. He wasn't coming through at all through the call. And I'm like, oh my god, what is wrong? So I went and did all the, you know, technical checking and made sure everything. I knew everything was working because I'd set it up ahead of time. I was so worried when I got home from work today. I made sure first thing I did was come home and start messing with all this stuff just to make sure that I had everything set up because I didn't want nothing to go wrong because I'd had to reschedule uh, the show with Craig Miller twice already. So I wanted to well, my young Padawan. So I didn't want to make. I wanted to make sure that whatever happened, that this show was going to happen tonight. Because I swear, if I had to postpone it with him again, I was ready to just give up altogether. Because I was going to be like, my God, I don't even want to do any more shows because this is a guest I've been waiting to have on. And if I can't, and if I can't get him on, I'm like, I'm done. I don't even want to do any more shows because I I remember. How much were you, were you sweating when you couldn't actually log into Skype tonight? Well, I, I think you understood that by the way that I'd sent you sent you messages uh, three times on three different yep. platforms. I'm like, I was about to call you because I'm like, I was getting nervous because I'm like, I don't want this to not happen because this is a good show. I don't want it to postpone. I know it's going to be great. And now, you know, with the book coming out, I'd completely forgotten. I had read on his Facebook page about his Star Wars Memories book coming out, and I'd completely forgotten that that, that was what he was working on. I didn't even get a chance to talk to him about that. So that's why I asked him if when he, you know, when the book comes out, if we can have him on again. And that's going to be great. I, I just, I, I never get bored talking about Star Wars, particularly that era, particularly that era of Star Wars. I, the I best just, era of Star Wars. Not, you yeah. Know, it's because I was going to ask him, and, and I hope you do get him back on the show because, yeah, yeah you, you can, you can come, I want you to come on with me when, when, when I have him on again because I think that'll be great because you're, because I feel like you're an even bigger Star Wars fan than I am. And I, and I, and to me, I, I mean, I was just totally blown away and overwhelmed just having him on like that. So I thought that was great. And you, and you know, I, I figured, I figured you would have questions and I'm glad you were listening in. So 
Let me put it this way. I was driving home and I was like, must make it home. Need to. Oh! And, and, you know, I, I just couldn't make it in on time to really uh, get the call in. But, uh, I, you know, I heard almost the entire show. And, uh, let me tell you, I, I, I have a question that I will, you know, put it in my little block box here in front of my, de- in my on my desk. And, uh, the question is, and, and if you ever have him back on, you're going to see this is, uh, something I have to ask. You know, anybody who was there, like you said, in that era, um, how did it feel standing in front of, now I know it was a prop, it wasn't, you know, cause, uh, you know, they're not really, you know, making starships, but how did it feel to stand in front of like that huge, you know, mock-up of the Millennium Falcon and that photo he has where he's standing right there in front of the Falcon? I mean, how, you know, looking back at it now all these years later, how does that, you know, you know, what kind of memories does he have? How does that feel to know that was, him yeah you know yeah yeah i mean that and that's a wonderful question that's a great question i was that's i was i I didn't ask him that specifically but i tried asking him just what his most cherished basically what you what's your most cherished memory of that time and then he had said that there had been so many but i like that because your question is so specific that i think he would have been able to provide a better answer there but to me i i just yeah Seeing that picture and, and, you know, and then having him on the show like this, I, I just was, was geeking out because like I said, I've never had anybody on my show that was connected to Star Wars. I've had a ton of Star Trek people, Star Trek actors, connected Star Trek people on this show, but I've never had anybody connected to Star Wars. So this was, this was really, I was geeking out like, the whole show. That's why I was really being <laughs> not like not saying too much, but just asking enough questions that you know, because he was doing such a thorough and wonderful job answering everything that I asked him. That it was just I, I, nice to I hear. That, I love that question from the chat about Lobaka. Yeah, I thought that was a wonderful yeah. question as well. Anything yeah. about the holiday special, and that's why I that. That's, you know, it's funny, it's funny because as hated as the holiday special is, asking about the holiday special was just as exciting to me as asking about anything else from that era of Star Wars. I really wanted to know about that. And I'm, and it's, it's, it was great to actually get some insight onto, onto that altogether and to find out that it had gone through various stages of development and how it was, how it was initially only supposed to be one hour. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I thought how they winged that shit. You're right, right. Didn't it seem like the whole, didn't it seem like almost all of it, it was like, was like improvisational with the yeah. exception, with the exception like, of like, get uh, in there and do, do whatever you want, just do, do whatever you want. Do you. Cause there were so many out of character moments in it. Yeah. Like you just, like you just really, you know, I, I think, Luke Skywalker smiled so much in that special that I I kind of felt felt like Mark Hamill's face was gonna freeze. Like they're just, well, I mean, that, it, it was all, all that makeup he had on was weird. Oh yeah, it was so caked on too. He bare, he didn't even really yeah. look like himself. He had so much. It was more like a, and I, I, I this was another thing I wanted to say to him about it, but I but I forgot when I had let him go. But I'd wanted to ask because it, to me it felt more like a stage play than an actual uh, than an actual production for TV 
And I didn't know that, that people were upset about it, not because of uh, being a variety show the way it was, but because it wasn't like a TV version of Star Wars. When he said people wanted a TV version of Star Wars, I almost fell out of my chair because I'm like, I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, that would have been epic. And they could have did something like that because they had all the actors. Why didn't they think about that and be like, I was like, they scripted that shit? (laughs) Script. (laughs) Really? I mean, an actual thing with pages on it that actors have to read? They were like, who wrote this? Life day. Wookiees talk. That's going to be about 30 minutes of this thing. Like that, like that Wookiee. Like that Wookie, like that Wookie thing with no subtitles whatsoever went on and on for a while. Oh, and when you and when you go back and you watch it, it's almost the best the thing. Wookie walks over here to the <laughs> left, and Lobaka sits on the chair. Like, I didn't seriously script that. Yeah, I, I thought that was amazing. I actually, you know, and really, of all the things that I'm critical about with when it comes to the, the holiday special, the Wookiee scenes are not one of them. I actually appreciate those. I would have just liked to have seen some subtitles. Because <laughs> we don't understand Wookiee. How do we know what's being said? <laughs> yeah, my say name is Solo, buddy. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, hey. I, 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 you know, and here, and here's the, here's, here's the greatest, the greatest thing about it. Knowing, you know, and listening to him who had been, you know, Craig having been so involved in all of it, you know, during that time period, that, that was, that was nice to hear. That was wonderful. You know, and he said, well, I talked to George about this and this and this, and I'm sitting here thinking, wow, that is awesome. Like, you know, it's almost like, man, you know, I, I, it'd be, it'd be, tough to get george lucas on this show but this is pretty this is pretty awesome <laughs> you know when he said george was distracted i don't think he was just distracted with the process of making empire so he didn't direct that i think he was sitting there in his director <laughs> counting money like just counting the hundreds counting the hundreds yeah look at that another hundred another hundred yeah. i'm so rich baby i mean i love everything about it like everything about what he was saying and and it's like it's like and, and i'm sure you can relate to this being such a huge star wars fan when you have someone who's talking like that about george lucas that's actually worked with him and been around him and he's talking about it and it's like you're visualizing it all in your head. You're seeing it play out as he's telling you. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. It's like, wow. I just, I, I don't know. I was, yeah, I was blown away. I, this, this, this episode made my night, man. I, I can't believe that it was, that it, you know, you know, having, having so much. And then, and then he, him having worked and done so many other, other projects and things we yep. didn't even really get to talk too much about because this was so Star Wars. And then the next time I have him on, it's going to be all Star Wars again because of his Star Wars book. But he does, did a lot of great other stuff too. You know, and oh, I tried to get, yeah, I tried to get into that too. A lot of projects. I mean, I mean, I mean, when I, that's when I asked him about real Navy. Ghostbusters. I'm like, dang. <laughs> like Superman, he's, he was involved in that. It's, you know, Excalibur, the heavy metal, which, you know, if you haven't seen the original heavy metal. Oh, yeah, heavy metal is wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, an amazing. As an, a, as an animation, also. it, oh yes, absolutely. Excalibur is great. Crystal, Crawl, Splash, Love Splash. I mean, 
it goes on and on and on. He, he's definitely dipped his toe in a lot of really cool 80s A movies, lot of really man. cool 80s things and then, and then the animation yep. he's been involved in too and writing for different shows and I just, I, I just was so, like I said, I, you know, and I, I get really, I get really excited when I get guests like this because again, this is something that, you know, when you, when you love Star Wars like this and this, in like I said, that particular era of Star Wars, you know, it's hard not to get emotional about anything like that when you you have somebody that w- worked that closely on it too. Now, it's just like, oh my God, you're the marketing for, but I mean, he was even involved with Iron Eagle. I mean, who? Oh yeah, loved Iron Eagle. <laughs> who does Come not on. know Iron Eagle? Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just my science I'm, project, real geniuses. I mean. I mean it's the amazing, you know, 80s flicks, man. This was a great show, man. Props. Much props. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm so, like, and, and I feel like it was great, you know, coming home and just doing all the prep early, making sure there was no problem. I'm like, I got this. I walked in the house, I'm like, no problem. I'm going to set everything up for the Skype problem. I'm like, oh my God. Man, really? I had to pull over and, uh, and get my Skype you know, uh, not my Skype, but I have to pull over and find the text for the uh, actual, um, you know, password because you're having issues with Skype. And I, and I, you know, sent it literally from my phone, pulled to the side in the middle of the road. Because I, I wanted to make sure that you got on Skype. And uh, I'm just happy it went through okay. Yeah, I, I, well, see, this was my thing too. I was like, okay, well, if I can't, you know, like if I couldn't get a hold of you or I wasn't doing, I knew I, I only had a few short minutes. So I was like, well, if I don't, if it, if I don't get a hold of you on time, I'll just, I'll just use my account. Because I still don't know if, if we can take calls or not. We still don't know. So that's why I haven't given out the number or anything. I've been kind of, I just, you know, yep. figured if I did it just a, did it just a straight interview tonight, that would be the best way to ensure that the show would be okay with no problems. And, and ultimately it turned out that way. So I, I can't complain with how everything's turned out tonight. It, it actually went well. And that's, that's the best, that's the best you can hope for. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's funny looking at that picture of, uh, of a Craig in front of the Millennium Falcon. It's funny because, you know, that said, like, what, in 80, probably 81, 82 when they were filming that, maybe 80. And, uh, just looking at that thing, uh, it's funny how, you know, things go, you know, back and forth in style and whatnot, you know, things come and go. Those glasses that he has on, I have a pair that I wear once in a while when I go out. They're almost the exact same glasses. They're back in style. Just like Star Wars is back in style, which is funny. That's awesome. Yeah. And, well, you know, it's funny, though. Star Wars has never really gone out of style, if you think about it. There's always been some. Right. Yeah, that's true. There's, uh, some, there's always been some sort of. But we might have. You might. You could say that in the 90s we kind of had a little bit of a dry spell, but not really because it goes back to what we were talking about, about the extended universe and you had all these novels, and you had comic books, and you had different things that were keeping Star Wars going, and not to mention all the home video releases, too, that you had during that time. Well, you also had the build-up also to Episode 1, which lasted like three or four years. And that wasn't the re-release out, so. of, 
wasn't the re-release of the, the release of the special editions was what 97? 97 so you had yeah. so yep. you had so you had through the 90s up you know you had you had book novels and comics and stuff that kind of kept kept you going and then you had the re-release of the special the special editions that launched everything else and got people primed and ready for the prequels so that you know so you you're we're talking about the way Star Wars has just kind of has never really been outside of the public consciousness at all, ever. Yep. Since in it fact, since it, it happened, it's funny because I was uh, an employee of AMC Theaters in '96, '97 when the release came out of the uh, special editions, and I remember the hype. It was so amazing. The, the ten year run. When they announced the prequels, they announced they're going to re-release the, the special editions in theaters. I remember, you know, everybody was going crazy over it. Everybody was talking about it. Uh, you know, I started working in the MC theaters back in like maybe '95, around '94, '95, and I worked right through the uh, the release of the, of the of the special editions. And I remember so much talk about that and about the prequels coming out and. Uh, yeah, you're right, man. Star Wars has always been in the lexicon of our, you know, everyday lives. And it's never really gone out of style. It's just had those phases where it's dimmed a little, but then it's kind of exploded again, so. Yeah, and, you know, I can't really imagine there ever being a time moving forward where Star Wars isn't and it doesn't continue to be our consciousness because Star Wars is going to be a, a, around a hell of a lot longer than we well, will. That's that's for sure. Give Ryan Johnson a couple more movies, and we might never hear from, from Star Wars. <laughs> well, see, I, well, see, I, I, and uh, and that, and then see that's that's the other thing too. I, I I don't really know. Like like I you know we're getting right now we get mixed messages that maybe he's get maybe he's going to do his trilogy. Maybe he isn't. I mean, I. <laughs> Who knows? I, you know, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm still excited a little bit now for the for the fi- for the uh, third film, particularly after talking to Craig Miller. It kind of got me a little bit excited again. It brought back a little bit of, like a little bit of a kickstart to my, you know, nostalgia and my love for Star Wars. Because up until this point, and you know this because of how I how I felt about the Last Jedi, I really haven't haven't thought about Star Wars too much, and I didn't realize just how much of an impact, you know, it would be once talking to someone who's from the Star Wars era that I love, that, you know, would be, would kickstart my excitement again. But talking to him and, and, and even listening to all the kind and great things that he had to say about Kathleen Kennedy made me feel a little bit better. It actually made me, you know, think about it like, you know, kind of changed my mind a little bit. Like, you know what, maybe... You know, just take it easy and just be excited for the final, for the last film. Maybe you know, you could it could be a surprise and could actually be a really good movie and and make you feel better. Even though you know, if you didn't like the last one too much, and I mean, I like how he pointed out, you know, that that you know, it wasn't like Solo wasn't the greatest one, and and you know, and and you know, Last Jedi has its detractors, but you have. You know, but you do have more Star Wars to look forward to, so. Well, my theory always is in these things, uh, Mr. Sean Ryder, is that 
it, everything you're always going to get, you know, good and bad. But, right. uh, you know, luckily, you know, we've had so much great Star Wars that, unfortunately, when we have something that's, you know, just bad, you know, everybody, like, jumps on it. But, you, you know, the future is is bright because we are going to get a lot more Star Wars. And I think as us fans, you know, become filmmakers and evolve and grow and see the Star Wars goes and it captures other generations of fans, you know, their input into what, you know, comes after you know, all that's going to carry forward, and we're going to see many, many, many iterations, and you know, a lot of different takes from different folks. And we're going to love some, we're going to hate some, but the point is, we're going to get some and a lot, and that's you know, something to be excited about. I look in J.J. Abrams. I trust, even though uh, he's made some comments I'm not very fond of. Um, I'm not. I'm you know, very fond of Kathleen Kennedy's work right now, or, or Ryan Johnson's. Uh, but, you know, they're a small percentage of the overall future of Star Wars. So, I mean, I'm excited for what Star Wars 2 has to you know, offer. And I will, I'm a lifelong fan. Uh, it's never exactly. going to stop. So. Exactly. And, you know, and this is, and that, and that's a great point about how, you know, you, it's going to continue on and on and on. And, you know, I I I can say this, and I and I'm feeling it now. Star Wars is one of those franchises that if the if they do it, it can go on forever, and will never would never have to be rebooted ever. I mean, think about it. They've only really explored parts of the Outer Rim, and you know, maybe a core of the Republic, you know, era, and some parts of the inner part of the galaxy. There is so much part of the you know, galaxy far, far away that we have not seen. I mean, Absolutely. there's a lot of outer rim territories which you can tell those, you know, great stories in there of smugglers and pirates and space junk and, you know, killers and Sith Lords and creatures of all kinds. Uh, you know, yeah, Star Wars is a huge, you know, thing that we can, you know, build many stories around. And that's just in one galaxy far, far away. Imagine if they hop galaxies later on. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was actually gonna ask him if he'd, if he had, uh, if he'd heard about about the possibility of there being in the future there being movies where, where Star Wars is kind of is kind of merged in with the Marvel universe, and I wanted to know what he would think of something like that. Since he brought up Crisis on Infinite, he brought up yeah. Crisis on Infinite Earths and DC and stuff. So I'll have to remember to bring that up to him the next time he's on the show. But that was. But all in all, I think that was a it wonderful would, show. It would fit, though, because, you know, Marvel does print Star Wars comics. So. Yeah. 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 Why not? And, and I mean, a lot of, and, and I haven't read the entire run of Star Wars comics that Marvel's done recently, but what I have read has been pretty good. So, you know, I don't, I, you know, yeah. like I said, I think that they, you know, that's a possibility at some point. I could see Marvel characters getting stuck in the Star Wars universe or Star Wars characters get stuck in the Marvel universe at some point. Can you imagine, uh, like, Galactus versus Darth Vader or something like that? No, I wouldn't want to see anything like that right now, but maybe, <laughs> but maybe in the future when you're, when we're at a point in time where they've basically explored everything that they can that we know of, maybe. But I don't know. I think uh, or Vader taking on the entire X Men. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd still Basically, put my. Vader doing I, I'd still put my. I'd still put my money. I'd still put my money on Vader. 
yeah, I put my money on Vader. I you could put Vader against the whole Marvel universe, and Vader could wipe out the Marvel universe. I think. I think yeah. Marvel. I, I think. I think Vader. Vader could run it all uh, easily. Uh, with, I don't think with just his thought, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and they talk about be, Thanos and the finger snap. Vader could yeah, do it all with just a look. He doesn't need no pansy diamonds and pearls. No, no. Right. The Infinity Gauntlet, Vader would tear the Infinity Gauntlet apart. For real. There wouldn't be a glove. Right. I don't even think he would have to use his hand. He'd do the choke, the choke or anything. He could just do it with a a thought. I think he does that because he enjoys, like, the feel of it. <laughs> the feel of it. And I the and the look of terror on the on the on the victim's face when he's I doing it. I think he's actually enjoying like I think he can feel through the force how the choke, you know, is affecting the person now. The neck is being broken and he can feel the bone snap and just like I think he can actually feel like physically feel it from where he's at. That's why I think he does it because he gets some enjoyment out of it, right? But but in the case of someone like Thanos or whatever, he could probably just you know <laughs> wipe away the Infinity Gauntlet with no problem. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it just it's Darth Vader, so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I would say that the Marvel universe would be in trouble if Vader was in, like, if the if Vader was at, was in our world, I think we'd all be in trouble. Yeah, they're pretty much it. Yeah, I don't think there'd be any. I, now, now, is there a is there a new show? Is there a new episode coming up after this one, Jackal? Or no, it's uh, Yun Kapoor and uh, our good friend uh, Alan Weiler, who is of course of the Jew brand. He's out uh, in, enjoying his religion for the evening. He gets oh, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. So he's enjoying, uh, you know, the holiday. So he's uh, away for the evening, and uh, we're gonna run a rerun, and uh, you know, wish him the best. And he'll be back on next week live on Skywatch. Oh, okay. Radio, so, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't sure if he had a new episode or not, but uh, yeah. I do want to thank everybody for listening. And again, I want to thank Craig Miller, my special guest for tonight, for joining me, and thank you, Jackal, for calling into the show. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure having you on as well. And uh, we will be back next week when I am going to have Chauncey Brown on the show with me. And we're going to be discussing the Halloween 40 Years of Terror, the franchise, in its entirety for next week's episode Ooh. of the Zod Rider Show. So that should be fun. And so, good night, everyone. <laughs>